Hello, I'm Monty Church, and welcome again to another episode of Native New Day. Today we find ourselves in one of the most incredible places that I know, Yellowstone Park. It just so happens that a few years ago I used to live just a few miles from here. During the years we lived here, fortunately or unfortunately, I became the family and friends Yellowstone Park tour guide. So I really got to know my way around this place. This wonderful park is surrounded by wildlife, mountains, waterfalls, and breathtaking scenery not found anywhere else on earth. It was always interesting to me to see the different reactions of friends that I showed around the park. I was surprised at this because it was a bit frightening to some, because it reminded them somewhat as how they thought hell would be like. The bubbling, scalding hot water sulfur holes, the spewing hot water geysers. Park rangers tell us that you wouldn't last more than two minutes if you fell into one of these geyser holes. It's because of this subject concerning fear that we have chosen this place to have our study today. I would like to talk with you about one of Satan's most effective tools that he uses to keep us from the plan and protection of our Creator. It's his use of fear. We all have been affected by fear in one way or another. Fear cripples people. By this I mean it holds people back from doing the things they wish they could do. It also holds us back from spiritually learning and growing. Today, fear keeps thousands from knowing the joy and fulfillment our Creator wishes us to have. It's like a little dog I saw the other day. Someone beat this little guy to the place that he became traumatized. When I first came along and tried to make friends with him by offering him a treat, he cowered and rejected me. Because of the way he had been treated, he trusted no one. In his fear, he even snapped at me because he thought I was only there to hurt him again. It was only after he learned that I truly cared for him could he be happy and accept the gift of treats that I held out to him. It's so much like the confusion and fear that we as people often feel when it comes to spiritual matters. Why? Where did this fear come from? It's because in the past, and even today, methods of fear have often been used by preachers and priests and book writers to push us to obey the Lord or else. But this is not God's way. The Book of Heaven teaches us that scaring people into heaven has never been the way God does things. Jesus says that He truly loves us unconditionally, meaning He loves us just the way we are, more than we can ever imagine. Jesus wishes us to see that our God only wants the very best for us. All His plans are aimed to only help us to prepare to live throughout all eternity in a world without pain, heartache, death, or fear. God says, fear and love just don't go together. Love dispels fear, because fear focuses on punishment and won't let love mature. The one who is afraid of God does not understand God's love. We love God because He first loved us. That's where our love comes from. The Lord wishes us to follow Him because we know He loves us 
and that everything he's asked us to do is only for our own good and for our happiness. Then why do people fear God? You see, most people who are afraid of God really are afraid of punishment for the wrongs that they've done. They feel guilty before a perfect God, and they think He must not be able to love them because of their weaknesses and sinfulness. The main reason for all this is that we have a hard time understanding that God still loves us in our weakness. We tend to place God in our own human understanding of right and wrong, reward and punishment. Yet what loving parent does not care deep inside for their children and are even more deeply concerned when they see them struggling in life? You see, those who are afraid of God most often are those of us who haven't realized that even when we're bad, though it hurts Him, God isn't one to hold it against us. He is so willing to forgive. As far as the east is from the west, He has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who love Him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I am willing to forgive your sins because of who I am. I will blot out your transgressions and remember them no more. Now, how can a perfect God do this and accept us as imperfect as we are? It's because He is free to forgive us through Jesus, who came to our world and gave His sinless life as a substitute for the punishment we deserve for our evil ways and stubborn rebellion against Him. God showed His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Through Jesus, God has been able to forgive and forget and open the way so someday soon we can live eternally in a world that isn't contaminated with sin. Here is precisely where the enemy has concentrated his attack. He has set up an ambush on God's love. The evil one is continually painting God as a severe, exacting, revengeful, and unmerciful ruler, when in reality, God is the essence of pure love. First of all, we all have been hurt and abused for so long by this evil world that it's really hard to believe that anyone, let alone our Creator, could love us so much unconditionally. And secondly, when we remember the bad things we have done in the past, the devil and his angel spirits demand that we deserve only punishment for them. This is why the Book of Heaven calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. But remember, Jesus is your forgiveness. Some of us have pulled some real blunders in life and find it almost impossible to imagine that Jesus could really love a person with a history like ours. Satan and his demons try to sell us on the idea that there is no way we can ever deserve heaven, so we might as well give up. You know, it's entirely possible that some of us have done some things that are as bad and as evil as evil can get. So the devil harasses us by saying that if he got kicked out of heaven, how then can God possibly love and accept us? But God really isn't like this. If you could see him face to face, this is what you'd see. I, the Lord, am full of mercy and compassion. I am gracious and kind, 
not easily angered, overflowing with love and forgiveness. I am faithful and true, full of goodness, showing mercy to thousands who love me and my commandments. When you see what God is really like, you can't help but be drawn to Him and accept and take hold of the gifts and promises He's offering you. Then there's the next question that most everyone thinks about. How can my Creator accept me when I am so weak and always wanting to run my own life? I know for a fact that there is no way that I can ever, on a daily basis, in thought and action, be a perfect citizen of God's heavenly kingdom now. This statement from the Book of Heaven has turned the lives of millions around when they understood its meaning. It says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. This means that not only has Jesus given His death as a substitute for the death we should pay for our sins, but also Jesus lived a perfect life and gives us this record as a substitute for our everyday weaknesses and mistakes. To anyone who accepts these gifts and is learning to allow the Lord to help and guide them through life, the Book of Heaven says, There is no condemnation to those who are hid in Christ by faith. Another wonderful aspect of this beautiful park. You see, heaven isn't in the business of punishment, but forgiveness. God is working it out in every way possible to improve our lives and save us. When we begin to understand this, something happens in our hearts. We cease to become fearful and become humbly bold in Christ because God's perfect love dispels fear and will let love mature. I'd like to have you meet one of my dear friends, Coyote Man. Coyote is one of the main chiefs of the proud Yakima Nation. Coyote struggled like most of us have with his business of being forgiven and being accepted by the Lord. When I graduated in 1965, I went to Vietnam. I went over there as a long-range reconnaissance patrol person. Uh, at one time, I spent 36 days in the field by myself. The war at that time was more of a general take on myself than anything. I had no fear. I didn't worry about death. It's like death really went into bed. Just like General Patton loved the Army. He thrived on war like I thrived on war at one time. At that time, they didn't want me to be back in the field again with the infantry, but that was my desire. But they chose not to send me to Vietnam again. They said I went to Germany. From Germany, I was selected to our special team. 
and uh, I went around this world three and a half physically time, physical times. All through that time, I never really believed truly in God. I lost that Vietnam. I used to say God went AWOL. Later on in life, after I got out of the Army, I was I realized and found out that I was one who went AWOL, not him. He was there, <clears throat> he was there all the time. Back in 94, I, had was 19, I was cut up, shot up pretty bad. We had, I still had wounds that were hurting. And I went to Portland VA Medical Center in 1994. And uh, they cut me open. When I was come out of the operating room, I was in ICU. I must be dead because I woke up. There's an angel. Here this lady was standing for me. Long blonde hair, green eyes, very pretty. She was my nurse. Little did I know I was going to end up marrying her. We went together, started born together in 1989 or 1999. And we were married. 2000 and uh, 2001. And she told me, You marry me, you gotta be a Christian. So that was. the beginning of a relationship with God. In 2002, I was baptized, but when I came out of the, the pool, it felt that a great weight was taken off my shoulders and my heart. I felt that I knew that God had forgiven me. that he had forgiven me for all the things that I've done. Especially during the war years and thereafter. The things that I did, not very nicely. But even though I know I'm forgiven for The demons still come back. So it seems like I'm constantly praying. I walked a road where many men never wanted to go or feared to go, not knowing what it cost me in the end. I'll still die a warrior.
a few weeks ago I was diagnosed with a un uncurable kidney disease. I was in a lot of pain. Depression. But I kept praying to God. The next morning I woke up after praying all night. Now what a relief. I was able to accept death. Sometimes I think that he says, Coyote, you've, you've done it all. Now it's your turn to rest. So if he lets me live, I'll see where he's do his work. If not, then I will go and rest as he so desires. I'll leave you with this thought. God, God's there. For you, he's there for me. Don't, don't throw it away. Oh, Kachiawa, Kachiawa. I said I'm done. Thank you. We can all learn so much from Coyote's experience. But then people say, if God is a loving God, what about some of the fearful things we read in Scripture like eternal fire that the wicked will experience? What about this thing the Book of Heaven calls a burning hell? What does all this mean anyway? The word hell in the Bible, in most cases, simply means grave or death or the ultimate end of life. Jesus himself referred to hell this way, saying that he is the only one who has the keys to hell and death. Right here, let's deal with some Bible meanings that have caused a lot of confusion on this subject. There are many misunderstandings over when and how Almighty God will purify this whole earth with fire. Some teach that God will use fires that burn eternally, meaning that will never go out. But the Book of Heaven doesn't teach this. It does explain, however, that fire or Gehenna will, at the end of this old world, destroy evil and evildoers once and for all, never more to be. The Book of Heaven says, For behold, the day is coming, all the proud, yea, all who do wickedly will be like stubble. The day that is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord. It will leave them neither root nor branch. 
in that day the wicked will be gone. They will have returned to dust and will be nothing but soil under your feet. Because the book of heaven always describes the cleansing fires of God as destruction that does away with sin and sinners once and for all, many then ask, then what actually is meant by the term eternal fire? Let me give you an illustration of eternal fire. Let's say that this piece of paper represents evildoers and sin. As I light this match, you can see that it totally burns up and turns to ashes. Now let me ask you a question. How long will these ashes be ashes? Eternally, forever, never to exist again. Jeremiah says, the fire is not quenched, meaning that the fire doesn't go out until what it burns is burned up and destroyed forever. This is the accurate meaning of the eternal hell fire in Scripture. The Book of Heaven is consistent in teaching this concept. The Bible also clearly teaches that there is no hell fire burning right now, today, for sinners like some have taught. This idea of sinners burning or boiling in hell forever simply doesn't make sense. It is the imagination of uttermost evil created by Satan himself and fed into the minds of those who attempted to control minds out of fear. It is truly an ambush on God's love. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. Not even the most evil imaginable would keep someone alive so they could go on and on to torture them. God is love. Our Creator has told us of how and when He will use fire to purify and cleanse this earth. There is no burning hell today. It only comes once and for all at the final judgment of evil and sin. It is quick and final. God's Word tells us, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Jesus will come the second time without sin unto salvation, and his reward is with him to give according to every man's work. So the final reward, whether it's heaven or hell, will not happen until Jesus' second coming at the end of the world. All through scripture, we are told that God doesn't take any pleasure at all in destroying even the wicked. The Bible calls it his strange act because acts like this are so uncharacteristic of his loving nature. It is only necessary because our Creator wishes us to be able to live in a land that is totally free from evil and evildoers. That will be so wonderful, won't it? Now, just when will all this happen? Again, the Book of Heaven explains God's plan. When Jesus comes again, we are told that the wicked will be stricken dead by the brightness of his coming. The righteous then will be taken to heaven to be with Christ for a thousand years. At the end of that time, all the wicked will be resurrected. And then, with the final act of judgment, the Lord will purify this whole earth with fire and recreate it over again into a paradise for us to live in. 
The Book of Heaven tells us how we need not fear God's ultimate destruction of sin. Only with your eyes will you see what happens to the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your defender and the Most High your dwelling place. What does this mean for one to make the Lord our dwelling place? It's placing our hope in Christ after hearing the word of truth. God has put his stamp of ownership on you through the leading of his spirit to receive everything he has promised. In a nutshell, we have all sinned and we all deserve death. But if we've accepted Jesus' perfect life to cover our imperfect life, and his death to cover the death that we should pay for our sins, and his resurrection which gives us hope for eternity, we are free and exempt from the punishment of sin. And we have the wonderful privilege of having the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us through this life. Another wonderful thing will happen to you when you work daily at allowing the Holy Spirit to help you with every problem and need. He will take away any fear you have of death and hell because He will place the assurance in your heart that you are safely kept in God's hands. You see, friend, it's not the strength of your grip that holds you there, but the mighty clasp of His hand that won't let you go. I hope you're finding this to be true in your own soul today because, you know, it is real. There is only one fear in this world that I appeal to you to avoid at all costs. That's the fear that comes to those who haven't given God a chance in their lives. An inspired writer once said, There will be many lost only hoping to be saved. This refers to those who like the idea of God's plans and promises, but have never purposely taken the time to tell Jesus, Thank you, Lord. I accept your forgiveness and covering of my sin and sinfulness. Please, through the work of the Holy Spirit, prepare me to be a citizen of the eternal world where sin does not exist. Don't you want this to be the prayer of your soul? Are you learning to let Jesus lead daily in your life? Do you want God's plans to be your plans? Is the promise of a heavenly land without death and stains of sin something that you really do want? If you are allowing the Great Spirit to guide you this way, day by day and hour by hour, trust me, you will not ever know fear. The only fear when Jesus comes again is that we had every opportunity to decide to accept his gifts and let God lead in our lives, but we blew it. When we look back and realize over and over how Jesus has asked us to let him into our hearts, but we refused, then we will experience the terrible anguish within for having turned our backs on God to do our own thing. The Book of Heaven describes it this way, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Oh, I can't think of anything more fearful than that, can you? My dear brother and sister, don't let this happen to you. Don't let this be your experience. Jesus is waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting. Your guardian angel is waiting. All heaven is waiting for you to say, Yes, help me, save me, lead me and they will.
And you know, they will give you a spirit of boldness, never to know fear again. Because you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So thank you for joining me again. And until next time, let only the good spirit guide you.